Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano has, as promised, released the second part of his long analysis and explanation of the treatment of a certain group of nuns in Italy. These are a group of nuns who place themselves at the mercy of Francis, and as would be their canonical right, they place themselves essentially at the mercy of the Holy See to get away from some of the regulatory rules governing the life of women, religious, especially traditional religious, since 2018. The, back in 2018, there was a document that was sort of the religious equivalent of Traditionis Custodis. It was called Cor Orans, and it upended the lives of a lot of religious communities, forcing, forcing religious communities into federations with other similarly situated groups, which on paper may sound fine, except this forced a lot of traditional Benedictines and traditional Dominicans and others into federations with very non-traditional groups, undermining their charism and such. And then this instrument was used, well, as a blunt force instrument to smash religious orders that were traditional, such is the case here. Vigano gives some updates on details. Um, it looks to casual observers like this is not so much now an issue of money and property, but something more ideological. But he, of course, it, like definitely links the two, talking about like contemporary political issues going on in Italy and linking those to then how the, those political issues can be used as an instrument to make quite a lot of money for the Vatican. Some context here is important. There was a story out that the Vatican is now $50 million in debt, annual budget, meaning it has running a $50 million deficit every year. It had been, up until like a year or two ago, only a $3 million annual deficit, which doesn't, which still sounds like an enormous amount of money to you or I, but to an organization as large as the Catholic Church, a $3 million deficit could be dealt with. But now it's ballooned to $50 million in annual deficit. And remember, the nuns place their property and their fate in the hands of the Holy See, who could probably sell that property to make up a large percentage of that deficit, if not the entirety of it. That seems to be the implication here. Now, Vigano is going to go into a lot of very dry details about canon law and about details involving the secular arm, as he calls the Carabinieri, the military police of Italy. It's worth noting here also that... Um, you get a lot of names and you get a lot of like concrete details about canon law and the concordat and a few other things. Of the three letters, this is probably the driest one that he has released. But his takeaway is pretty simple. That this is essentially alliance between the secular arm, the secular world, like the values of the secular world, you know, you know, Francis's many alliances with vicious, nasty secular leaders. To smash, uh, to smash the traditional faith. You do it for profit. And he, he brings in the ultimate agenda uh, that we have seen play out in Europe for now the past decade or so. That has caused a lot of headlines and caused a lot of political upheaval in Europe. And Rome is right in the middle of all of it. With that said, here's Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano on the Nuns, Part 2. And now the follow-up letter of Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano on Francis's destruction of traditional women religious and their orders. The second part of my intervention in defense of the nuns of Pienza, after the first part dedicated to the sequence of events, and a third part, soon to be published, regarding the initiatives that ought to be undertaken 
addresses the canonical measures adopted by the Holy See, with the collaboration of the Diocese of Chiesi Pienza Montepulciano and the Picena Federation of the Benedictine Order. These observations are based on the official documents delivered to the nuns and on those of third parties of which they became aware, as well as on the unanimous testimonies of the sisters and the evidence they have preserved, such as informal communications on WhatsApp. In the first part, I highlighted the reasons that led these young nuns to Pienza and the chronological sequence of events, beginning with their installation in the former diocesan summer seminary, which at the time was unused. For this chronology, I refer to the period from August 2017, when the sisters arrived in the diocese, up to the most recent measures at the end of February 2023. As already mentioned in the first part, the first anomaly that we can find in the story of Maria Tempio de Espirito Santo Monastery dates back to its canonical building by the then-Bishop Monsignor Stefano Manetti. It was thanks to him that in February 2019, the monastery obtained the status of being sui jure, that is, directly dependent on the Holy See, despite the fact that the bishop had not provided them with the ownership of the property, and ensured them having adequate means of subsistence, probably hoping that he would be able to subsequently rectify a situation that he considered provisional, having declared himself the guarantor of the nun's stability. The transfer of Bishop Manetti to the Diocese of Fiasole and the appointment of Cardinal Augusto Paolo Lojuris as Bishop of Pienza, an appointment which formally took effect on the 21st of July, 2022, but which had been communicated informally the previous April, drastically changed things, forcing Bishop Manetti to try to hastily rectify his forcing of the canonical norms, which would certainly have caused his successor to have questions. Let's not forget that the trait d'union between Manetti and Lo Juris is given by Don Antonio Canestri, the former rector of the seminary, whose property was later assigned to the monastery, who was promoted to vicar general by Manetti and confirmed in that position by Lo Juris, of whom he is a long-time friend. It is not superfluous to note that the appointment of Cardinal Lo Juris to Pienza was made in persona episcopoi, that is, by assigning the diocese of Montepulciano Chusi Pienza to him personally, along with the diocese of which he was already archbishop, that is, the, archdi the archdiocese of Siena Colval d'Elsa Montalcino. This appointment in persona episcopi would not have been possible without the transfer of Manetti to Fiasoli. The most straightforward solution in conformity with canon law would have been definitively assign the seminary building to the monastery with a multi-year lease agreement, or else a similar structure immediately available and habitable. And this should have happened from the beginning, but instead of following the path of common sense without creating further problems for the sisters, Bishop Manetti tried to persuade them to leave, and did so informally, without ever leaving anything in writing, announcing that this would still be their destiny as soon as the new bishop was installed. Given that the apostolic visitation from the Roman pontiff through his delegates, immediately implements the supreme and immediate jurisdiction that belongs to him for any and every part of the church, it must nevertheless be specified that this inspection instrument always has an extraordinary character. Motivated by circumstances that are for the most part serious and which must be indicated in the brief of appointment of the visitators, those who are the recipients of the visitation are therefore guaranteed the right to know precisely why they are subject to an inspection by the Holy See, and also what powers are assigned to the visitators in the document of assignment. The communication of Cardinal Braz de Viz, Prefect of the Dicastery for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies of Apostolic Life, 
bears the date of 14th September 2022 and the protocol number 27887-2014. The reasons for the visit are not indicated, while it is explicitly stated the action of the visitators concerns, quote, the conduct of the government, the life of the community, and of the individual nuns, as well as their initial and ongoing formation, the perspective of the future, and the economic management of the monastery. Attached to the communication is a copy of the decree appointing to the visitators, Abbot Dom Giodorno Rota and Abbess Mother Roberta Lanfordini, also dated 14th September 2022, with protocol number 36256 forward slash 2017. These communications from the dicastery, however, were never sent to the monastery. And it was only on the 1st of September 2022 that the nuns learned by telephone from the visitator that he would be arriving two days later, except that instead he arrived by surprise the very next day. After also having presented himself the previous 11th of October. On that occasion, he presented himself without warning in Pienza together with a visitatress and Cardinal Lojuris while the nuns were on retreat in another location. The delivery of the Vatican document, therefore, only took place during the visit itself and at the insistent request of the abbess, a month and a half after its issue in complete irregular ways and without it clearly indicating the reasons for the visit. As we saw in the first part, Cardinal Lojuris asked by the abbess if he was aware of the visitation, first denied and then reluctantly admitted that he had accompanied the visitators on their 11th October visit, thus confirming that he was aware of what was being prepared in Rome. From what has emerged so far, it is evident that contrary to every norm of law and against the charity that should mark every disciplinary action of the shepherds of the church, everything was done to make the visit as traumatizing as possible by hiding the motivations, conducting the interrogations of the nuns in an intimidating way, looking for laughable pretexts such as the orientation of the altar or the sale of jam, and disrespecting the privacy of the religious. Thereby, thereby making it impossible for them to know the accusations against which they defend themselves and even keeping silent about the results of the visit itself. On January 30th, 2023, the Dicastery for Institutes of Consecrated Life issued four decrees, signed by Monsignor Jose Rodriguez Carballo, secretary of the same Dicastery, identified by the protocol number 27887 2014 which also seems to be reported incorrectly and with a chronological reference to the year 2014. In fact, the decree appointing visitators also has an anomalous protocol number, 36256 forward slash 2017, which seems to have been registered in 2017. Is this a simple oversight? The first decree provides that the monastery, quote, shall become a member of the Pequena Federation of Benedictine Nuns in Italy. The second decree provides for the instrument entrustment of the government of the monastery to the federal president and the council pro tempore of the aforementioned federation. The third decree imposes exclaustration for three years on the abbess, Mother Duletta, with the injunctive order that she must leave the monastery within one week of notification of the decree. The fourth decree requires the prioress, Sister Margarita de la to transfer for a period of one year to the, quote, monastery of Bowes within one week of the communication of the decree. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
Practically speaking, with the first decree, the nuns have been placed at the mercy of the Federation and thus have lost any prospect of being able to maintain their, quote, traditional charism. While with the second, an abbess has been imposed, Mother Vaca, as to act as an executress of the Vatican's orders. The exclaustration of Mother Deletta after 21 years of cloistered life is an extremely severe measure, in the absence of serious reasons, with which the abbess has been de facto put on the street for three years. Without guarantees for her religious identity, without any means of subsistence, and without certainty about her future. Imagine how a cloistered nun must feel, expelled without reason and punished, without being able to defend herself, and who is ordered to return to live in the world that she has chosen to abandon to follow her contemplative vocation. The ruthlessness of such a provision should horrify us, especially when the courtiers of Santa Marta are not ashamed to celebrate Bergoglio as, quote, the Pope of Tenderness and point out as, quote, rigid, those who denounce the doctrinal and moral drift into which he has plunged the Church of Christ. It is no less absurd to send the prioress to Bose, which sounds like a cruel condemnation to her re-education in a mixed community that is notoriously uncatholic, ecumenical, and ultra-progressive, where it will be impossible for her to find serenity and follow her vocation. We can therefore see that as a result of the secret agreement between the Holy See and the uh, the government of Cardinal Zen's homeland, the Church's silence on human rights violations in that country is also accompanied by the Bergolian hierarchy's acquisition of those methods of reprogramming to which the opponents of their leader's uh, regime are subjected. Although the date of the decree is J 30th of January 2023, they were delivered brevi manu to the sisters of on the following 13th of February by two priests, Father Rafael Manidi, head of Vocations Ministry and Religious Institutes of the Diocese of Montepulciano, Chiosa Panza, and Don Paolo Mancini, who calls himself the Secretary of Cardinal Lo Juris. This delivery took place in violation of the duties of confidentiality, informing the whole community even of the measures concerning the abbess and the prioress, see Canon 220. The two priests asked the sisters to sign a receipt without, however, issuing them their own regular copy, see Canon 37, and without mentioning in any way in what capacity they had been commissioned to notify and implement the decrees. Another anomaly, the acts delivered bare, instead of the stamp of the Roman dicastery, the stamp of the Diocese of Multipulciano Chiosa Pienza, with the date of February 9th, 2023, and an additional protocol number 03.a.5a. It is not clear why the decrees of the Holy See were sent to the diocese rather than directly to the monastery, since the monastery is not subject to the jurisdiction of the ordinary. Nor is it clear why the decrees have been disclosed to third parties, in violation of the duties of confidentiality and ordinary discretion that protect the right to good reputation of religious institutes and ecclesiastical entities. These serious formal shortcomings render the decree arbitrary, absolutely groundless, and therefore manifestly null and void. See Canon 51 also because of the consequence and manifest absence of the indication of any serious reasons that would have led the dicastery to dismiss the legitimately chosen abbess and prioress. The failure to communicate detailed reasons for, well, for as well as the lack of results in the prescribed final report of the apostolic visitation seriously harms the personal and inviolable right of the defense of the nuns. On the other hand, the fact of not having received any notice or any relief from the visitators, together with their prolonged silence, from the beginning of November 2022 to February 2023, had led the religious to believe that the visitation had not detected any issues that were critical enough to justify the, the very severe measures, which were then surprisingly and unexpectedly adopted. And this is not all. 
The dicastery, with the first decree, has ordered the ascription of the monastery to the Pechenia Federation, i.e. that it must become a member of the Pechenia Federation. With the second decree, it has ordered the entrustment of the government of the monastery to the federal president, Mother Vaca, and to the council pro tempore of the federation itself. Since the council chaired by Mother Deletta has not been declared lapsed, the entrustment of the government to other subjects is impossible given that those who are holders are still such. And again, unlike affiliation, which would entail the suppression of the monastery with its sui duty status, the ascription to the federation does not produce ipso facto the decadence of the leaders of the same, nor does it involve the entrustment of the government to the subjects external to it. Articles 57 and 59 of the Cor Orans instruction, cited by the dicastery in the second decree, seem not to be in integrable, given that art. Article 54 of the same applicative instruction, the Apostolic Constitution of Vultum de Carere, mentions affiliation and not ascription, specifying that affiliation is a particular form of aid that the Holy See establishes in particular situations in favor of the community of a monastery, Suiteris, that presents an autonomy that is not only, or that is only asserted, but in reality is very precarious, or in fact, non-existent. The autonomy of the Maria Tempio del Spirito Santo Monastery is not at all only asserted, precarious, or non-existent, nor can it be said that the justifying reason is the irregularities caused by Bishop Manetti, which he himself had undertaken to rectify, because they were already present at the time of canonical elevation. In any case, neither on the occasion of the visit nor subsequently was the autonomy of the monastery contested to the nuns. Nor would this have been possible, since the lack of owned property is not attributable to the sisters, and no changes consequently occurred to change the situation. Moreover, it is completely anomalous that a community of thirteen young religious sisters is judged to be incapable of autonomy, when most convents and monasteries in Italy and in almost all countries of the world have a much smaller number of sisters. Affiliation should be understood as a help to those communities that, due to their small number of sisters, their advanced age, and the objective difficulty of managing the monastery need to be assisted by other federated monasteries, so as to be able to have sisters who take care of them, assist them, and take on the most onerous tasks. It is not and cannot be an instrument with which to subject communities of young nuns to a commissariat, solely because their legitimate choices in the liturgical sphere or religious life do not please the superiors, who are notoriously progressive and opposed to any form of contemplative life and traditional Catholicism. In the second decree, the dicastery cites Article 57 of Col Orans, which provides, quote, With affiliation, the Holy See suspends the status of the autonomous monastery, making it Doneke Aleter Providator, a house dependent on another autonomous monastery of the same institute or the federation, as established in the present instruction and any other provisions on the subject given by the Holy See itself. The norm of reference on which this measure claims to be based makes the affiliated monastery, quote, dependent on another autonomous monastery, or on the federation. But the president of the federal council pro tempore are not a monastery, nor are they the federation. And where Article 58 speaks explicitly of the major superior, in the Roman decree this is not mentioned. Entrusting, therefore, the government of the monastery jointly, the president of the federation and her council has no normative basis, but rather constitutes an abuse of authority. That does not even take into account the necessary and elementary form to guarantee validity and effectiveness to legal acts. A further inconsistency should also be highlighted. The same monasteries of Mother Daniela Vaca and Mother Roberto Lanfredini, which have very few sisters, were not the first to comply with the provisions of Cor Orans. In essence, the visitatress and the federal president have not fulfilled in their monasteries 
that for which they reproached the nuns of Pienza. And the paradox lies in wanting to remove an abbess, Mother Deletta, on the pretext of not having federated her monastery, to replace her with another, Mother Vaca, belonging to a monastery that does not comply with the provisions of Cor Orans. It should be noted that the visitatrix, Mother Lanfredini, also comes from a monastery that did not comply with the provisions of Cor Orans. The decrees challenged by the nuns, therefore, have serious legal loopholes in them, both as regards their juridical basis and also because of the form in which they are presented. In addition to the lack of reasons and regulatory references, the modalities that allow the receipts of the decrees to challenge them have not been indicated, making them unjustly immediately enforceable, creating a very obvious intimidating pressure. And it is disconcerting that the means adopted by these ecclesiastics are significantly mirrored by those used by supranational institutions to force the governments of countries belonging to a certain international form of economics to adapt to the program for the end of the decade, the method of economic blackmail. If you do not make legal the James Martin pairings and associated ideology, I will not grant you the funding you need, is also accompanied by the use of, of uh, subversions fomented by a cert certain foundations led by a certain international billionaire to lead regime changes in the imposition of a head of government friendly to the system. They've done it in various places, including in the present conflict zone. They're trying to do it in Moldova, in Belarus, and in Hungary. And at the same time, Bergoglio's courtiers act in the same way to replace the unwelcome superiors of religious communities or bishops, who in their own dioceses do not adapt to the new course. It is useless to look for some trace, I do not say, of Christian charity, but even only of humanity in this affair. In addition to the abuses and formal and substantial irregularities, there is a series of elements whose evaluation contributes to composing a picture that is alarming, to say the least, about the disastrous situation in which the Vatican finds itself, having dramatically degenerated in the last ten years. The emissaries of the Holy See have reached the point of applying persecutory and heavily punitive methods, which in ancient Rome were reserved for those deprived of citizenship for very serious crimes. Among these, there was the punishment of aquaet igni interdicto, that is, the deprivation deprivation of any support and help from other Roman citizens, in order to force the guilty into exile. This aquet igni interdictio has materialized on two fronts. The first is the bank's revocation of the abbess mother Deletta's delegation to use the current account of the monastery at the request of the self-styled new legal representative, Mother Vaca, without informing her. This would not have been possible without the complicity and connivance of the employees of the Montepulciano office of Banca Intensa San Paolo. The revocation of the delegation adds to the serious irregularities of these measures the deprivation of the means of daily sustenance for the sisters, with clear intimidating intent, if not even blackmail. To abrogate this situation, consider that Mother Vaca, in a threatening communication sent to the sisters on February 14, 2023, declared that she had assumed the legal representation of the monastery body, also for civil effects, on the 3rd of February, ten days before the sisters were notified of the decree. This not only represents yet another violation of the law, but also demonstrates on the part that a castery, a persecutory will completely unjustified and seriously detrimental to the rights of the nuns, not separated from having recourse to vile stratagems to prevent the nuns from protecting themselves by withdrawing their savings in time. The second form of aquade interdictio took the form of the communication disseminated to the media with which the diocese declared, It should be noted that no money is authorized in any way to be sent to accounts of the monastery or even less in the name of individual persons. 
In this way, the nuns, deprived of the possibility of using the current account on which they deposited their savings, no less than 6,000 euros for 13 sisters, are being forced by the merciful, unsigned intervention of the Curia of Pienza to not even be able to resort to the charity of the faithful. If we consider how the papal almoner, Cardinal Krajewski, known as Don Corrado, personally went to reopen the electricity meters of a building illegally occupied by a progressive social center, offered to pay all the back bills, which then did not happen, we understand to what extent the hierarchy of values to which Bergoglio's court refers has been inverted. Needless to say, the diocese has no right to prohibit fundraising at the monastery. No one can prevent free donations from the faithful. But it is worth highlighting the ruthless hardness of these ecclesiastics, for whom your neighbor is the uh, new European, the person with identities that change, and the anarchist, but never those who profess the Catholic faith, be it a cleric, a religious sister, or a simple member of the faithful. Such unequal treatment reveals a harmful ideological approach that contradicts the gospel and shows those who promote it for who they really are. I would like to mention a recent news event in order to help people understand the unequal treatment reserved for these nuns compared to real cases of serious scandal. The Jesuit Marco Rupnik, known for having defaced many churches with his horrible mosaics, was convicted of very serious crimes, including uh, Ted McCarrick-type activities with both nuns and boys, as well as a violation of the sacrament of confession. Benefited from the lifting of his excommunication by Bergoglio, with no regard for the fight against corruption in the church. Some nuns had appealed to the Jesuit Hans Zollner to denounce the harassment they suffered without any follow-up from him. Well, on March 2nd, the Cardinal Vicar Angelo de Donatis appointed Zollner as a consultant for the protection of minors at the Diocese of Rome. We can easily imagine how effectively he will act to protect the, the victims of guys like this who infest Catholic institutions. And if the Roman Pharisees that Abbess Mother Deletta deserves to be exclaustrated without even knowing why, know that Rupnik was not even removed from the Aleti Center. This shows the measure of the hypocrisy that has reigned behind the Leonin walls for the last ten years. It is for these reasons that the sisters presented a formal remonstratio to the Dicastery for Religious Life, asking for the wholesale revocation of the decrees and access to all the acts, including those originally sent by Bishop Manetti to Rome for the canonical building of the monastery. They are also asking for clarification about the anomaly of the same protocol numbers for different documents. The law of the Church recognizes that recipients of a measure have the right to appeal, and it also provides for the suspension of the enforceability of the measure until the issuing body examines the arguments made by the appellant. The Roman dicastery will therefore have to respond to the objections raised by the Monastery of Pienza, which are both procedural as well as substantive, and also allow the sisters to see the acts which concern them, so that they are able to legitimately exercise their right of self-defense. It should be noted that when there is a pending appeal, the enforcement of the act being appealed is suspended. This means that the two emissaries of the dicastery and their zealous companions had, and still have, no title to claim access to the monastery and drive out the abbess and prioress. On February 24th at the ANSA website, it was reported that a formal notice had been given to the nuns by the Diocese of Montepulciano, Chiesa, Pienza, and by the Pequena Federation. The act of signification and notice, written by attorney Alessandro Pasquazzi, was then published on the diocesan website. The nuns are ordered by it to execute the decrees of the Holy See. The surreal thing is that this act was never communicated to the nuns, but instead it was made available to the media, which among other things is in violation of the duties of confidentiality to which both the diocese as well as the Pequena Federation ought to be held. 
In the act, there is not the least mention of the appeal that the nuns legitimately made against the Vatican decrees, such as to suspend their enforceability, but it reproaches them for having fueled, quote, an undue debate in the media, even though the reality of the fact disavows this accusation, which instead is valid against the diocese, which is responsible for having disclosed notice of the act without the nuns having received any notification, which still to this day it has not happened. And it is disconcerting to say the least that the authors of these cries of Manzonian memory seek to insinuate the suspicion that the instigatresses of the, quote, revolt are solely the abbess and the prioress, while the community of sisters is solid and united in facing the scandalous affair and opposing the violation of their rights. I wonder, what is the role that Bergoglio wants to give women in the church? Is it for them to suffer in silence while tyrannical authority takes their funds without even being able to defend themselves in the name of a distorted concept of obedience that applies only to those who are faithful to their vocation, while religious and clergy who are corrupt, heretical, and engaging in sins of the flesh can violate the law with the certainty of impunity? The final intimation of Attorney Pasquazzi ought to be applied above all to his patrons. Quote, It will not be allowed in any way to convey biased and misleading reconstructions of this complex case, which have been the object of a decision by the Holy See. Above all, considering that the, quote, biased and misleading reconstructions originated with the press releases of the diocese and the Federation, as well as with the many critical issues contained in the decrees of the Vatican Dicastery. The raid made on the 17th of February by Majera Vaca and Majera de Marzio, along with a layman, the assistant financial officer of the diocese of Montepulciano, and other people took place in the presence of the marshal of the local Carbonari station and two other members of the military police. It is not known in what capacity these three soldiers intervened or who called them, although it was obviously not the nuns. As I have already emphasized in the first part, this involvement of the secular arm disavows the presumed conciliatory will of the diocese and the Roman dicastery, according to whom the reactions of the sisters is the result of a regrettable misunderstanding. It is also configured in its clear, intimidating value, also in relation to the co subsequent investigative activity undertaken by the Carbonari in an informal manner, who summoned the nuns' relatives, as several of them have testified and interrogated them about the management of the monastery, trying to bring to light a non-existent and absurd manipulation of the sisters by the abbess and the prioress. According to what was reported to me by the mother of the nun of one of the nuns, who was summoned by the Carbonari of Ancona on February 28th, the questions that were addressed to her in the course of an intense and traumatizing interrogation were of this tenor. Are you able to visit your daughter? How often? Have you ever seen her sad or worried? Has she complained about how she lives? Has she shared in confidence what about problems in the monastery? Who keeps the phone in the monastery? Can your daughter send messages and use WhatsApp in addition to calling? The Cabaneri, without having a mandate, also pressured the nun's mother to show them the contents of her cell phone. I note that the people summoned by the Carbonari were not given a copy of the transcripts of their interrogation, despite having asked for them. This too, in point of law, is absolutely inconceivable and censurable. The behavior of the Carbonari is also surprising. They carried out the interrogation without respecting the recent amendments to the Code of Criminal Procedure, which provides that notices to be given to the person being interrogated about the possibility of recording the interrogation. The treatment to which the relatives of the nuns have been subjected will be evaluated by lawyers for further action. It should also be noted that the monasteries and religious houses faithful to the rule and to their own charism, it is normal discipline to limit or not allow the use of internet, as well as regulate relations with the outside world. 
It seems clear to me that someone deliberately made the Carbonieri believe that they were dealing with a sort of psychosect, but the same accusations that, according to the press, were supposedly hurled at the nuns for spending too much time on the internet, even condemning them for having their own website, like almost all religious communities, are in contradiction with their supposed inability to communicate with the outside world. In any case, the nun's lawyer will verify who requested the intervention of the Carabinieri by suggesting the possibility that the nuns were being psychologically manipulated, and will ask for an accountant in the appropriate offices to find out whether the tip came from the curia or from an intervention from higher levels, for example, from the Secretary of State or the Ministry of the Interior. Because if this was the case, the danger of a manipulated authoritarianism by the abbess should have been declared in the reasons for the visit and in the formal report, something which did not happen precisely because there was a deliberate absence of reasons, in violation of the provisions of canon law. It sounds disproportionate, to say the least, that the Holy See, which is so committed in words to distancing itself from mingling with the temporal power, and so zealous in preaching the separation of church and state, would not hesitate to unleash the public force against thirteen sisters, whose only wrong was having wanted to remain faithful to their proper charism as Benedictines, ora et labora, but without having to suffer first the undue meddling of Kiko Arguello, then the financial-motivated meddling of the Curia, and even the ideologically-ordered meddling of the Vatican. This involvement of the secular arm further constitutes a very grave violation of the concordat norms, and creates a dangerous precedent that adds to what already shamefully happened during the 2020 events in the associated farce, when the police broke into churches and forced the celebrant to interrupt mass with the excuse of the delusional fake regulations then in force. The precedent being created in this Pienza case is that the civil authority may intervene with force in order to execute provisions issued by ecclesiastical authority, thereby violating the principle of the independence of the two powers that is the basis of the concordat. Another element not to be overlooked is that the Carabinieri assisted with this operation that was totally forced, without even realizing that it is collaborating in a true authoritarian and illegitimate oppression by the ecclesiastical authority, which is also unjustified because of the pending appeal at the dicastery, as well as the failure to communicate these documents to their interested parties. Those who are not familiar with the canonical issues will be able to understand the enormity of this fact, but considering that it could be compared to the police claiming to proceed with the seizure of property or the arrest of a person without presenting a warrant or any order from a judge. In any case, some of the Carbonari themselves have expressed embarrassment and discomfort at being involved in this operation. Just as the second part of my intervention was about to be published, two articles appeared in Republica, having brought to light further elements confirming the total speciousness of the measures taken by the Holy See and its emissaries. The first article, published on March 2nd, shines light on the intentions of the diocese regarding the use of the property of the former seminary, which is currently intended for the nuns. According to what Republica reports, the monastery, quote, could soon become a welcome center for the new arrivals, which are now too many, even in the region of Siena, for the buildings of te the territory, with the nuns themselves able to give a hand if they are available. It is a destination entirely in line with the, quote, church of the poor, dear to the heart of Pope Francis, and with the Episcopal charism of Augusto Paolo Lojuris, who has been Archbishop of Siena since 2019 and since last September also head of the Diocese of Multiple Chiano Chiesa Pienza, along with a history of a long commitment of service in the peripheries of Rome. The suspicion of real estate speculation, suspicion that was entirely reasonable given the behavior of the protagonist of the story, now seemed to give way in favor of an operation of ideological propaganda. The Church of the Poor would like to give lodging to the new arrivals in the heart of Tuscany, 
in a town of Val d'Orcia, of just 2,000 souls that relies on tourism. I do not dare to imagine what the response of the inhabitants will be to this demagogical decision of Cardinal Lojuris, who, believing that he cannot be attacked in the media for revealing his inclusive intentions, will now, will now find himself against all Pienza, legitimately worried about the consequences of such an improvident decision. It is not a mystery that welcome centers present problems of a public order and control of their guests, as all similar cases invariably demonstrate. At that point, the Carabinieri will have much more to concern themselves with in interrogating the sisters' relatives. In the same article, mention is made of the fact that the decree of dicastery is supposedly burdened by the pontifical secret. Not only is this not true, but it is not even possible. How could the nuns defend themselves against accusations that were never laid out in detail, whose acts have not been notified and whose decrees, according to Republica, are secret? According to the article, the nuns were, quote, transferred from Holland, removed precisely because of their non-aligned charism, while their sending abroad was supposedly decided by Kiko in accord with the Bishop of Amsterdam in order to open a new community. And their decision to abandon that monastery was taken in order to remove themselves from interference from the leadership of the neocatechumenal way. In short, there is not a, quote, history of transfers or removals of a punitive nature, but rather a painful testimony of coherence, whereby the closer the nuns came to tradition, the more they were the object of attention of their ecclesiastical superiors. And what we find out from the press that the monastery will be converted into a welcome center to the delight of the residents of Pienza, and, I imagine, of the local Carabinieri station, we cannot fail to notice that in Lo Judice's pauperistic delirium, the Benedictine charisma of the cloistered life of the sisters has not been taken into any account, deciding modo proprio to transfer them into social workers. And this is not all. Prudence alone should have advised against putting young nuns with new arrivals, who, because of their religion and culture, could create serious problems. But this, perhaps, is precisely the purpose, to make an apparent conciliatory proposal to the sisters, but which for them is so incompatible with their charism as to force them to abandon the monastery. And if this were to happen in conjunction with a legitimate protest of the people of Pienza against the opening of the center, at that point the sale of the property would probably be considered preferable and desirable. There is no denying it. The property of the former seminary turns out to be a source of profit, whether it becomes a welcome center or sold at least to third parties, whereas at the moment it is not yielding any profit at all. As for these thirteen nuns, the supernatural role of prayer that they carry out in the church, it does not matter at all to these miserable gray Vatican officials. The second article, published on March 4th, indicated as by the, by the ANSA agency, reveals disconcerting news about investigation by the public prosecutor's office, in view of which the Carabinieri are said to be collecting testimonies. If this turns out to be true, it will be difficult for the diocese and the Pequena Fort Federation to demonstrate the legitimacy of unnotified measures, and to claim the enforceability of decrees that, having been challenged by an appeal, are by law to be considered suspended. We may say that this news expertly disseminated to ANSA serves more than anything else to intimidate and psychologically wear down the nuns. What is instead interesting is that this article too reaffirms Lo Juris's intentions to transform the convent of Pienza into a structure for new arrivals, with the sisters if they want lending a hand so as not to expose the convent to the risk of suppression and themselves to the reduction to the lay state, a full-blown blackmail. First, the conditions are created to exacerbate a situation that had been normal until then. Then, following the legitimate reaction of the nuns, they are reassured that they will not have to leave, only to discover that their fate, which Republica casually dismisses as lending a hand, renders the proposal inadmissible and thus forces them to reject it, making them appear to be disobedient and rebels. 
But if a newspaper's management promised all the journalists in an editorial office not to fire them so long as they would accept working as secretaries or janitors, would they agree to lend a hand? And above all, would they silently accept being passed off as insubordinates when they only wished to continue doing the work for which they had been hired? Would they let their reputations be tarnished by unfounded accusations and insinuations that question their professionalism or their honesty? If the management asked them to give up being journalists in order to not be fired, would they not consider this proposal to lend a hand as a provocation and a blackmail? Perhaps many of those who uncritically report the line of the diocese and the federation ought to pose these questions, and to understand that behind this squalid affair there are real people, young women who in a materialistic and immoral world have decided to offer their lives to God in prayer, and who see their own future jeopardized without having done anything wrong. And all this takes place in an objectively inverted ecclesial context, where the communities faithful to tradition are persecuted, while those responsible for grave doctrinal and moral deviations, too many to count, are tolerated or even encouraged and protected. To be clear, assistance to the poor and the needy has always been one of the spheres of action of the church, and the religious orders as well as a work of mercy. What is morally reprehensible is the desire to want to hypocritically use the welcome of new arrivals, not without an economic windfall given the contributions that the government gives to welfare institutions, as a means of committing unjustified abuse against 13 young sisters, and to want to present them as insensitive and selfish simply because they are not able to accept the distortion of their freely assumed choice to enter the contemplative life. Those who hope to clear their conscience by shrouding the persecution of the nuns with humanitarian aims are discovering at their own expense that dishonesty and lies are coming to light, and that behind the promise not to suppress the monastery is hidden the intention to force contemplative vocations into a life that is nothing contemplative about it, which is then the ultimate goal of Cor Orans and the de demolishing fury of the Bergolian court. Here it is, the inter-ecclesial conflict between traditionalist anti-Bergolian sectors and the Church of the Poor, dear to Pope Francis, as well as to Archbishop Lodjudis, of which Republica speaks. A true conflict in which the spiritual mission of the Catholic Church clashes with a demagogic and hypocritical vision of those who think only of pleasing the world and dismantling the religious orders, judged be out of fashion and unprofitable. I would be curious to know if the Holy See would transform the central aleti into a structure for new arrivals, who substantial profits for Rupnik's mosaic works of art would hardly be compensated by the lucrative hospitality business. The real problem is, of course, the nun's marmalades. Beyond the analysis of the documents and the legal considerations that arise from them, it is completely undeniable that those who claim that this affair was limited to a simple change of leadership of the monastery, rather than intending the, uh, to eliminate it, had a gravely deceptive and lying attitude. And if the fears of our nuns appear unjustified, in order to understand that they did indeed have a thousand reasons to oppose these criminal maneuvers, it is sufficient to see how many other religious communities have been made object of similar summary trials, always with specious excuses, always in violation of the law, always involving prestigious properties that someone wants to liquidate in order to raise cash, always directed against communities who do not want to renounce their charism simply because the Bergolian junta has decided so. At the end of the second part, I would like to quote the exhortation addressed by Jose Rodriguez Carballo to Cloistered Sisters on the 21st of November, 2018, commenting on the instruction Cor Orans. These words, despite the paradox of having been spoken with a completely different intention, are valid for the nuns of Pienza and for all persecuted sisters. Quote, Don't let yourselves be manipulated. You are the ones who have to manage your life as adult women. 
It takes not one grill, but three to separate you from those people who want to manipulate you, even if they are bishops, cardinals, friars, or other people. It is you who must make the sermon, because there are people who are doing you a lot of harm, because they are projecting their own ideas onto you. And if a person like Carbio, involved in financial scandals that bankrupted the orders of Friars Minor, has been appointed as secretary of the Dicastery for the Institute of Consecrated Life and the Societies of Apostolic Life, we should not be surprised if he continues in his new position, with his devastating work on a much vaster scale. We can only pray and hope that not one grill but three awaits him and his accomplices. Someone in Rome and in Pienza is forgetting that the nuns are mystically married to the Lord. I do not dare to think what the divine bridegroom's punishment will be against those who lay hands on the consecrated virgins and hold them next to the sins to sinners of the flesh and heretics. Signed, signed Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano on the 3rd of March, 2023. Made it to the end after a 40-minute letter. I congratulate you and I thank you for, for sitting through all that. Curious what you thought about this, so let me know in the comments, please. Are you surprised that the Vatican would ignore canon law, would ignore the the canonical rights of the nuns, and even ignore the concordat to help promote essentially a secular program and just sort of use the nuns as an inconvenient instrument to achieve secular goals? I'm curious what you thought about all this, so let me know in the comments, please. And keep these nuns in your prayers. They need it. And I have not heard of a single way of helping these nuns. They that has not been made known. I hope Carl, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano includes that in part three, which I will bring you when he releases it probably next week. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. As does sharing this on social media. That's a, That helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.